Well, my gosh. My gosh. Last week, um, so one of our, uh, a bishop emeritus of our diocese passed away on mm-hmm. February 4th. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, he was a controversial figure. Um, um, I won't go too much into it, but it's just, he was a controversial figure, and, and those who can Google things can Google things. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, but regardless, the dead are worthy of prayer. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. what we do. Well, the bishop calls me up the day after Bishop DeRue dies and says, Harrison, this is how my bishop thinks to talk. He's kind of folksy yeah. this way. He's kind of awesome. But he goes, Harrison, uh, I need you to MC Bishop DeRue's mass, uh, funeral mass. I'm like, okay. He goes, you know, you know how the cathedral works. You know liturgy. You're not crazy. You could do this. I'm like, nice. sure. Thank, thank you, Bishop. Like, well, that's, that's actually kind of nice thing to say. Yeah. It took up my entire week last week. <laughs> Holy smokes, man. Like, mm-hmm. well, there were a lot of hands in the honey pot, or as the saying goes, or the cookie pot, cookie jar, whatever. I don't cookie know. Pot. <laughs> the cookie pot. Sure, yes, because you know, you just throw it on the stove and just there you go. No. The, uh, the, <laughs> the container of sweets had many phalanges in it. <laughs> And so the phone calls kept on coming, and I actually got really good. I said, I saw the name on the display. I'm like, I don't know who you are. I know, I, but I, well, I, I know your name, but I, I don't know what, you, what your involvement is with the funeral. And if it's not on my list, I'm not answering. And I'm not mm-hmm. returning your phone call either because I literally do not have time. Yeah. It was the, so it took hours of like sitting down with protocol books. You know, there was a few protocols that were less observed. So, sure. for example, Cardinal Cherney, who is the pro tem um, head of the Congregation for Migrants and Workers or something like that, whatever it's called in Rome, mm-hmm. uh, he was a friend with Bishop Duru, and so he flew out for the funeral. He can celebrate it. Oh, which is not, it's illegal. It's, it's, it's valid. It's just yeah. very, very illegal because if a cardinal's by right. Now, in the end, it's like, because the cardinal's not like a sacramental order kind of thing. Right. It's not the end of the world if he can celebrate. I've seen bishops, for example, out of love for their priest, would can celebrate a funeral for like a priest's parent. They wouldn't be right. the main celebrant. So not absolutely liturgically appropriate, no. But mm-hmm. I'm flexible this way. I can work with this. You How know? pastoral. I'm so pastoral. Well, What a beautiful Vatican II <laughs> priest you are. <laughs> Here's the thing. You learn how to what is worth fighting over and what's not yeah and you also you have to you do have to think but i'm also thinking theologically right okay like okay mm-hmm. well in the end he's he's a bishop who's consult excuse me who's celebrating with another bishop there's nothing wrong with that in that regard if he wasn't a cardinal this wouldn't be a problem although actually even technically an archbishop ought to be a, if he's there should be a principal celebrant there was an archbishop there too anyways yeah we make do but so you're looking you're learning about protocol the procession was unnecessarily long and not because of clergy mm-hmm. um, but I managed to pull it off and to make it a dignified funeral mass I think beautiful I was very but, happy with myself a question what do you mean that the procession was long and not because of clergy did you have people running down the aisle with streamers what no. did you have going on there buddy oh gosh no oh I would have put a stop to that uh, and actually even before the mass a few things were trying to be propped in I said nope not in the, it's not on my list it's not in 
Yeah. I got really, I have never been this direct, but I'm like, I got two minutes until we begin. You're not doing that. You're not doing that. You're, you're there. Let's go. <laughs> That's what you got to do as an MC. Well, you, you have to be because, harsh. right? Because the bishop is depending on me to make the show run so that he can just do his thing, which yeah. kind of happened, right? So no, but it's just, um, this bishop, for example, had a lot of instituted ministries that aren't really ministries that one can be and he wanted reps from these different communities in there and then he uh, wanted okay, okay. interreligious reps and this and this and this so i managed it then the clergy mm -hmm. and and the bishops and stuff so we managed it it was it was a long funeral it was two hours um and i got you know afterwards you clean up and stuff and then i had a quick bite got back to the parish 10 minutes before my mass <laughs> Oh, that's tough. So the people got a two-minute homily this weekend. Okay. I'm sure they were okay with that. They are okay with that because the weekend before, I think I went on for 20 minutes. So, you know, it balances <laughs> out in the end. But it's like, well, we haven't had a bishop buried in our diocese since Bishop Hill in 1961 or 62. Oh, wow. So it's been a... Like, we've had bishops die who've been here, but they weren't buried yeah. here, right? So, like, Bishop Roussin... So he had, well, Bishop Derue was bishop here for like 37 years. He was named a bishop yeah. at the age of 38 and was never moved. Wow. But was never moved. Wow. Extrapolate as you see fit. <clears throat> um, so he was here till he was 75. Yeah. And that's a long time for a bishop to be in one place like that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then Bishop Persan came after him. He had sent, he then got moved to Vancouver, retired early uh, due to some mental health stuff and passed away. And then Bishop Archbishop Richard was named Archbishop of Winnipeg. He was there, but he's still alive and well. And now Bishop Gary. So we haven't had, it's been, it's been 60 years, literally, since a bishop has been buried here. So it's and like you we, didn't mess it up. And I didn't. Th okay, there were two small mess ups that I. One was so we had only we had Bishop Gary, the Cardinal, and two other bishops. So I just decided mm -hmm. to sit them all uh, next to Bishop Gary. Okay. Because I didn't want to have a dangling bishop in the sanctuary with the other priests all along. Yeah, you gotta <clears throat> can't have dangling bishops. Nope. So. I forgot to put out a chair for the fourth bishop, though. Oh, no! So, we're, we're, we're like, so but Bishop Gary's really good. As he's introducing people, he's kind of stretching it out while we find a chair. <laughs> and he was the one who goes, Harrison, where's the chair for for, for Bishop Joseph? I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm like, this is why. I had one there. I'm like, go get me. I knew who said, go get me a chair. And they got a chair. And then the second one was, I just forgot to bring out the mic for something at the end. Um, okay. that I forgot and I got it earlier. So otherwise it went like just smooth, but like beforehand, my gosh, cause like, so it was so planned out though by Bishop DeRue, there were so many moving pieces that every single person had to check in with me. And I had like 50 mm -hmm. people checking in with me before the mass. Wow. Yeah. That's impossible. It actually is impossible. And mm -hmm. so I've learned in the future, when an event like this happens, where you're going to have multiple moving pieces, you need to have a representative for each group that you're going to talk to. And then they're the check-in person for that group so sure. that I can focus on getting the mass ready. Yeah. But, you know, we managed. And now I'm also MC for Chrism Mass. There <laughs> in you charge, go. In charge of organizing Chrism Mass now. So Yeah, fun. And, they, and actually, we have a young woman uh, becoming a consecrated virgin at the end of April in our diocese. That's very cool. So I'm in charge of that, too. Nice. <laughs> I've become the diocesan unaffit. We don't really have a diocesan liturgist, but yeah. I think I've become that. Sounds like it. Which is fun. Yeah. You know, so that was, so. that was my week. It literally took up, I had one day of appointments in my parish that I squeezed everything into on the Wednesday. Otherwise, I had no time for anything. Yeah. <laughs> Except for that. And the bishop was work getting me to work on a secret project as well. 
Secret project. So yeah. Secret project. Yeah, that's been my that's been my week. Woo. Yeah. So like welcome to Clerically Speaking, I guess. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. Woo. So I want to give the people <laughs> okay. a little peek behind the curtain. A little so glance. So the other day, a little glance. I was hanging out at the producer house. Mm-hmm. Producer Nick, producer Riley, producer, producer Indiana. Indiana. Yep. And uh, just visiting, hanging out, and then, uh, you know, producer Riley in Indiana went to sleep. And it's just Nick and I, and he's working on some stuff. He's working on a video for his jobby job, and then he uh, just starts editing the podcast. And as much as we make fun of Nick, and we'll continue to make fun of Nick, and we'll never stop making fun of Nick, we actually he's kind of him. a genius. And we kind of deeply love him for everything he does. Absolutely. And it just, like, I knew that Nick makes it sound good. But holy smokes, seeing him in action was amazing. Hmm. And he's just like, even though Nick's a super nice guy, when it comes to like a job that he's good at, he becomes brutally efficient. Hmm. Just like I cutting could see and that. stuff. I could see that. Oh, absolutely. But, like whenever we talk over each other, he's just like, okay, who sounded more interesting? Cut that, put that there. And I'm like, I'm right there. And he's cutting some of my stuff out. He doesn't care. He's just doing job. whatever is best for the show. Good job, Nick. Good job. Well, I was, was even noticing in our yeah. text this morning, you're like, I need, I need an idea for something. And he was just like, bang, 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 bang. So you could tell he really loves this. Yes. It's, just, it's always on his mind. It's great. And it was, it was fun just kind of see him do it, listening and seeing how he it. But then, uh, so he was doing that um, Thursday night, getting ready to drop it Friday morning. And then he said, oh, I'll probably just do the, uh, the sisters podcast tomorrow morning. Because uh, he edits for our friends, the Daughters of St. Paul, yep. their podcast. And he just starts talking about their podcast and how it's so much easier to edit. Because <laughs> these sisters, they, they listen to each other. They take these long meditative pauses. Uh-huh. It makes it super easy for him to edit. Uh-huh. They don't burp mid-word. He doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have rambling ums coming from an Italian priest. It's just... And then... And this is the there's thing that no got me use mad. in the words. Yeah, there's no use in the words. Everything's spelled correctly <laughs> in the language they speak. Um, and <laughs> this is what got me mad, Harrison. Okay. And this is why I need to tell a sister something because I know some of them listen. Listen up, sister. They need to stop because whenever they mess up, they will apologize to <laughs> Nick. <laughs> so they'll be. Re- <laughs> Sorry, I can just see this. It's like so clear in my head. (laughs) (laughs) So if like they mess something up or like they talk over each other, like, oh, sorry, Nick. And Nick was like just beaming because they found it so delightful. But this needs to stop. Yes. Sisters, you are treating producer Nick too well. His expectations are going to be too high. You're going to make us look bad. Yeah. Wait, yeah, wait. He, sisters, do you want to make priests, Jesus's priests who bring you the sacraments, <laughs> who hear your confessions, who say mass for you, do you want them to be looked down upon by Nick? Right. Because let's be honest, sisters, you know, your argument may be, well, couldn't you guys be nicer to Nick? Couldn't you elevate yourselves to a greater level, level of virtue? And the answer is no, no absolutely not. That's way too hard. Uh, and uh, so we're not going to do that. So yeah. you need to bring yourselves down to our oh, yeah. level. Kino- you know, kenosis, right? You mm. have to empty yourself and enter into our condition. Yes. That's, this, is, this is how this works. So, you know, stop apologizing to Nick. Stop making it so easy for him. You know, he's doing a job that he's supposed to do. And he's doing it well. But enough of these niceties. We don't want him to be spoiled. That's all I got. <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> That is, 
That is so interesting. So, so yes, yeah, as, as people know, I also had the pleasure of actually doing a season of the Daughters Project with the sisters. Yeah. Although it was interesting because it was myself, Sister Nancy, and Sister Teresa. There's no apologizing to Sister Bethany, who was editing at the time. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah the reason I think Nick's doing it is because Sister Bethany usually does all the editing for them, but she's on her mm-hmm. final year in Rome right now. So, right. There's no apologizing. Like, it was just, we're just going to do our thing. And Sister Bethany will do with it as she sees fit. So. Yeah. It sounds to me like these sisters have some growing up to do in how they do a podcast. Yeah, it sounds a little duplicitous to me from the story you're telling me. Not that I'm accusing them of anything. This is just, you know, how I'm seeing the thing. Right, right. So I'm just, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. No, never. Never, never. But I'm just saying, you know, maybe, maybe the way we do things is the right way. Maybe. Who can say? Whomst is to say. Yeah. But we do have the right way of doing things. Oh, crap. Nick, let's just do that again. Sorry. No, I just did it. 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 Oh. See, here's the no, thing. He's not gonna take it After out. we ripped on Nick, you're going you're gonna to ask him to cut out a, 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 a segment where you sound stupid. You There's want, no chance. Here we go. Theological emergencies. <laughs> Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. He's also been butting into our podcast lately. Oh, he has Like, when we talk to him, he'll just do a quick, like, two-second recording of him responding to us. He's getting mad with power. This is very dangerous. This is... Uh, you see, this, this is an emergency. Producer Nick is an emergency. You see, this is hilarious because I haven't... I haven't had... Like, I haven't had time to... I, I, like to, I do like to listen once in a while because I like to... You know, how do we sound? What can mm-hmm. I improve on? But yeah. I, just, I haven't had time for that lately, so... He's taking advantage. Mm-hmm. He's taking advantage, but... All right, theological emergencies. Hey there, fathers. My name is Stephen, and I've got a bit of a theological emergency. Uh, it's quasi-sacramental, but I don't know if it counts. Basically, my girlfriend is Catholic, and I want to become Catholic, and we want to get married in a Catholic church, of course. But my folks don't particularly like the Catholic church, and I'm very nervous to talk to them about it, and just with everything around that. So... I mean, we're not getting married. We want to get married in December, but still it feels like an emergency. So I'm not sure what to do, but we want to be faithful to the church. So thank you, fathers. Hope you have a good one. Peace. So, Stephen, if that is your real name, um, if you've already been baptized, there's a good chance that's your real name, but who knows? Um, If you haven't been baptized yet, then uh, you will get a real name uh, for your baptismal name. But anyway... So, uh, first of all, we are very excited for you to become Catholic. You know, an early welcome to the club. This is good. And yeah, what you're going through is something that it, it's not uncommon for families to uh, be upset when somebody other family converts to Catholic Church because they don't actually know what the church is. Okay. As far as your marriage goes, there are options for you. Uh, a few options. So, it's actually possible for you to be validly married in the church and not even have a priest present and not be married in a Catholic church building. You can get permission for this. Uh, Because of the 
the nature of the sacrament that you are the ones, bride and groom, who are offering the sacraments in your vows. Uh, so there's theological wiggle room. And if you fill out the right paperwork, you can get married in a Protestant church and everything's okay. You get a big thumbs up, stamp of approval. It might be a little bit awkward for you because usually the priest won't even be there for that. Because one of the rules is you can't make this liturgy that's happening outside the church look like a mixed or like a Catholic thing. So sometimes after um, the Protestants do their whole thing, sometimes at the very end, the priest will offer a blessing, but very often the priest won't even be there. So that's a possibility. Another possibility that might be good if you get married in a Catholic church, uh, and this is all up to you, is to have a marriage ceremony without a mass. Uh, sometimes recent converts or mixed families do this uh, because one, it's if you don't actually enter into the church before December, it's a little bit awkward for the sacrament of unity in which like your bride will receive the Eucharist and you don't, or if you've got like half of your family who won't be receiving the Eucharist. So the church allows you to have just the uh, marriage rite without the mass. Or you can just you can just go for it. Hey, buddy, it's your marriage, and if you want to do the whole thing, like your priest, I'm sure will support you in that. And uh, as far as talking to your family, ooh, buddy, I mean, yeah. there is a reason why Jesus said that uh, mother will be against father and all that jazz. Like it is tough, and mm-hmm. we will be praying for you. Yeah. Um, and there's not <laughs> Harrison. Do you have do you have some more pastoral no, advice for yeah, this? Yeah, just I think I think you've given all the right advice there and i mm-hmm. think i mean you know the questions that arise in my mind do your parents know that your girlfriend's catholic for example um all oh, right yeah these may or i mean if you're getting if you're talking about marriage i'm presuming they've met her and stuff like this um but wait i may have missed maybe i missed that part in the, in the call there but anyways um so if knowing that your parents may presume that she would want to get married in the church so that's one possibility there too the mm-hmm. becoming catholic part and this is like, I know it sounds weird to say, but if you feel it's going to cause too much division in a way, like you don't have to tell them you're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? you, you don't. don't. You, you really don't, right? You can work it out. You can, um, and you know, I, I mean, again, you want to talk this over with your pastor where you can give a lot more of the explanation about their what their views are, why they're against the church. Is it for political reasons? Sometimes it's a bit of a racist thing. Sometimes it's misconceptions. Sometimes it's... Um, Various forms of apologetics put these weird ideas in our heads about what Catholics actually believe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it, it is a complex thing, uh, but everything that Father Anthony had just said about uh, the marriage thing is right. And that's why, be, again, you talk this over with your pastor because he'll be the one to do the paperwork with you. And then he has to send it off to the bishop who kind of gives the, he'll put the reasons why you want permission for getting married elsewhere. And he, and the bishops are usually very understanding of that. Uh, you know, there's a pastoral concern there. And like here, here's another little thing that one thing I've done before too, where for some, maybe not in this particular kind of situation, but they got married outside the church for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but then even they either had permission or didn't. Sometimes we can do like a mass where we are blessing, giving a blessing over the marriage or something like that privately even. So there's all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, sure. This is like, people always think, oh, the church has all of her rules. Well, yeah, the canon law exists to make possible living out a sacramental life as much as possible. And so there's actually a lot of flexibility in the law of the church, like yeah. a ton. So embrace that. Talk. Your pastor is the one who can really help navigate this for you, hopefully. 
Yeah, but definitely, even if you become Catholic, and you definitely don't tell them about the goat sacrifice thing, because Protestants mm. get real, you know, squeamish about that. So keep that to yourself. Yeah, that's a Catholic. And, and also that you know, please don't tell them that Mary is actually the fourth person of the quadrinity. Yeah, that's not that, going to work secret. well for them. That's secret. That's secret Catholic knowledge. Don't tell them. Okay. <laughs> that's um, so. Stephen, if that is your real name, and girlfriend, if that is your real name, uh, we'll be praying for you. And, uh, you know, it might be tough, but at the end of the day, God's going to take care of you. And at the end of the day, you want to get married, you want to be Catholic, those things can happen. And the Lord will bless you for your sacrifice in that. That's right. And, and always, just quickly too, you want to pursue the truth, obviously, mm-hmm. but you always want to do it in charity towards others. And yes, so you want to, you can, there's a lot of stretch room, but there comes a point where a decision has to be made one way or another that can, um, that sometimes can make, bring it temporary division in a family, but doesn't always mean it's going to end that way. Hi, Father Harrison and Father Anthony. This is Lindsay from the Towson Newman Center. So I've dug myself into a philosophical and theological hole. Um, okay. So hypothetically, if you were in like a large conference room and you had multiple monstrances, would that be possible? Because in adoration with the monstrance, we believe that Jesus is truly present in the sacrament. And so therefore, like the whole presence of Jesus would be there. But Jesus can't, I mean, he's like the full person is there. So would he be able to multiply and be in multiple monstrances and all be in the same room? I don't know. This really got me. Hope you're having a great day. Thanks so much. Bye. I love this question. <laughs> it's a, it's actually a, a a good one. So Lindsay, if that's your real name, um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting question because it gets into the notion of sacramental presence, which I will kind of table for a second before I just give the more simple answer. Um, the more simple answer is simply one monstrance. Don't care how right. big how big the conference room is it could be a stadium i've actually been to events like i remember going to world youth day actually going to world youth day in in in, in madrid and having ador- you have adoration the night before there's just the one monstrance on the altar even though there's millions of people uh, yeah. because it's the the act is a unified act of the church present in that particular place so mm-hmm. liturgically there should only ever be one monstrance Right. No matter how far away you are, you are adoring the Lord in his sacramental presence, even if he looks like a little speck because you're 10,000 pews away or whatever, or seats away or whatever, you know? So just that, that's the simple answer right there. One monstrance, okay? Now, let us say, let us say your question, or I think the question just becomes even more simple when uh, um, uh, a day-to-day example we have, which is like a ciborium, a ciborium, which has multiple hosts in it. Yeah, sorry to blow your mind, Lindsay, but you do realize that, like, at Mass, you're not the only one receiving the full Jesus. Like, you know that, right? And if you like, are. There's, there's lots of hosts. And if you are, <laughs> man, wherever you are, they need more priests to hear confessions, obviously. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> but no, this is the thing. There's always yeah, multiple right. hosts in the ciborium and stuff like this. So it's because the presence of Jesus is not... Um, it's not to, now. I, I'm going to have to be technical here because I have no other way of explaining it. So I yeah. apologize, but Jesus's presence is a sacramental presence, not an absolutely localized presence. Okay, so what do I mean by this? I mean that the presence of Jesus is fully there in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in a sacramental mode. Okay, not in the like. Again, we do not gnaw on His flesh. 
for example, right? When we receive the Eucharist, we're not yeah, taking you're not a bit, tasting. We're not taking a little bit of his forearm skin, you know. You know, it's not like Lord of the Rings. It's like we feast on man flesh tonight. Exactly. It's not. It's not how that works. Exactly. Exactly. No, you receive the whole Christ's presence, and it's his whole person. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's his whole person, but it's in a sacramental presence. Now, I know this sounds mysterious, and it's kind of meant to be because we actually mm-hmm. the church in many ways attempts to protect the mystery of the presence. Um, but it's not a localized sense. So while it is true, Jesus is fully, so let's say we have two hosts, okay? Yeah. Let's, yes, Jesus is fully present in both hosts, but it's not like there's, Jesus is here and Jesus is here as if they're separated from each other, but it's the one presence of Jesus present through the means of both hosts. So it's not, it's not, it's not localized. Whereas if I get all Jesus here, oh, but then you get all Jesus, like you do get all Jesus, but it's, it's not in this physical, like it's hard for me to explain because like I, I I had this, I had this understanding. I feel, I understand where it's coming from because we often interpret Jesus' sacramental presence in too physicalist a manner. And by this, I mean like, we almost think like, well, I'm looking at his arm and his legs and everything. No, actually you're not. (laughs) Yeah. You're not. That's bad sacramental theology that I think sometimes can, and it's not intentional, but it can overtake when we, when we're trying to emphasize the real presence to the point of losing the sacramental mode of that. And so I'm going to depend on Father Anthony here now to make yeah. me uh, more understandable. Okay, I'm going to try. Because I actually talked about this a little bit with my RCAA group just the other night. Cool. And because a lot of people, this is why language is important. Yeah. Um, a lot of people like to say, trying to emphasize the reality of the sacrament, that Jesus is literally in the sacrament. And I don't like that word. Neither do I. Uh, because we use literally to mean really, but literally doesn't mean really. If it was literally, it would be the presence of his glorified body and we'd be chewing on his bicep or something. He is truly present. He is really present. Yeah. Um, but going back to your thing about the two hosts, I mean, sometimes the best way to get at a Catholic question is to mark out what you cannot say. And you might not pin down the exact answer, but you can get close. And that's kind of what happens with mystery. Like you can say what mystery is not, but you can't encompass the entirety of the mystery. So right? It's like you've been reading a book or something. I have been, and uh, I'm going to be talking about that on my episode a little okay. bit. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so go back to your example. I'm just making it concrete. You have two hosts. Um, in each of those hosts, Christ is truly present. If you receive either of those hosts, you would receive Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. When I hold those two hosts up in the air, am I holding up two Jesuses? No. No. So that's what you can say for sure. It's not like there's like 400 Jesuses in the uh, tabernacle. Um, There are many hosts in the tabernacle, but there is kind of one sacramental presence of Christ to receive any of those hosts to receive the whole Christ. So it's like if you receive three hosts, you're not receiving more Jesus. Which is why the church doesn't really want you to receive hosts multiple times a day. Yeah. She allows, uh, there are exceptions. she allows twice yeah. because of its connection yeah. with the Eucharistic sacrifice and, the, the, exactly. and what it completes. So, for example, if you're going to a, a funeral in the morning uh, and then you're going like funerals a Saturday morning and then you go to an anticipated mass for Sunday, a vigil mass. Uh, yeah. Receive both times. That's good. But that's more tied to the um, Eucharistic celebration. That's more tied to the liturgy. Um, but there can be this temptation to be like, if I eat more Jesus, is I get more Jesus, and that's not how that works. So it's actually a very good question. I teased you a yes. little bit, but it actually it's opens actually up really a good. lot of good sacramental theology. So hopefully that clarifies it a little bit. If your brain still hurts, that is okay. It's okay for your brain to hurt when you think about the mysteries. Um, 
if it doesn't hurt a little bit, then you don't really appreciate the mystery for what it is. But right. hopefully that, that clarifies a little bit. Yes. Um, no. Amen. Exactly. So I that would this we gotta do a um we gotta do it we gotta do a, an episode on on sacramental modes of presence and stuff like this, I think. That would be good. That would be good. Cool. Who knows if we'll do it? Who knows? Who's this to say? I have my I have I have my next three topics kind of chosen anyway, so it's not that's not a problem there. But yeah, cool, cool. And you know, I like picking topics that you are that you've already been thinking about because it makes my job easier. So maybe I'll do that one. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's just, it's just yeah. This when I'm talking about this localized, like it's as if to say like Jesus is only particularly here. If we have the two hosts, he's only he's right. particularly here, and he's particularly here to a point as if I have two Jesuses. And that's a very modern notion of place, space, mm-hmm. physicality, where we we see we see matter as just extension of the self, etc. But the sacramental mode of presence is vastly different than this because of Jesus's ability to transcend physical boundaries. Mm-hmm. Like you even see this in the Gospels with the resurrection accounts, right. right? This is the whole point. At one point, he's able to eat fish, and at another point, he's able to walk through walls. Yeah. So the resurrected body has this ability of kind of an omnipresence now through the church. Okay, I'm going to ruin the podcast a little bit by going on a tangent. Um, and Nick can cut this if he doesn't think it by an interesting. But where does it say in the gospel he walks through walls? It doesn't quite... Let me rephrase that then. Because but it's clear. John, for example, makes it clear by locking the door yes. of Jesus' ability to not be... Um, Binded by physical barriers. Yes, he's able to appear so in the is, room without. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not. Yeah, sorry, let me rephrase that. Oh, I said walk through walls. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, you're, you're absolutely right because it's you're right. He doesn't actually say this, but it's just. But he's able to be in a room that's completely locked without yeah. having entered through the normal means, without doing any violence to yeah the things around it. Yeah, yeah. He's not sometimes a ghost. like uh, people will say that all the time. Jesus will walk through walls, and it's like <laughs> you're turning Jesus into a weird superhero hero instead of god who can be where he wants to be mm-hmm. um like to say that he walked through walls i think almost diminishes yeah. how powerful uh this kind of revelation of uh yes one his god but also his uh, resurrected body yes um so anyway thank you for that's just a me of on mine. my inaccuracy <laughs> it's very rare i get to do it i gotta jump on it you gotta jump on it it's great no I, it's good it's okay good. Cool, all right, thanks cool all right some presbyteral exhortations yes all right and now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh yes, yes. quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes, quite. Yes. So, I want to do a kind of mini series for my three topics for the next. It'll be in the next six, seven weeks, or whatever it's going to be when it'll come out. Sounds like cheating, but okay. Uh sort of. I'm, I'm learning more and more to yeah. combine efforts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, for example, these three topics, this is getting me to start doing some of the prep work for my Vesper services that I do once a month in my parish. So for March, April, and May, which and May will probably be my last one for the year until the end of the summer, um, I am doing, I'm going to do the theological virtues on faith, hope, and love. I love the, the- we've talked about them before on here. Yeah. But we're, yeah, you know what? What, what's wrong with going after them again? I mean, to be honest, I, I, even though we've talked about the theological virtues, 
not all of our listeners are perfectly virtuous. This is true. They don't listen. So to we every didn't do a good enough job. They also don't listen to every episode, obviously. Also true. And going a deep dive on each one will be good. Yeah, yeah. So and I and here's the other thing, folks. Sometimes like when you've been doing it as long as we have now, because like this summer I think we're coming up on what four years, five years, four years, four years, four yeah. years. Yeah, you forget what you talk about sometimes, and so maybe we did do it, and that's okay. Wait, here's the thing. This is what I brought up uh, this past Sunday. So this past Sunday, it was the Sermon on the Plain, if you will, uh-huh. the yes. Beatitudes. Yes. And I think in Luke having a Sermon on the Plain and the other Gospels having it on the Mount reveals the fact that Jesus probably preached the Beatitudes multiple times. Like he didn't just give one Beatitude sermon. He was probably going around preaching the same thing all the time. Right. Or. Historically speaking. Or. Or. or there's another interpretation to it that is. It's their particular kind of theological lens of the event, right? Because Luke is more meditating on the crowd. And for Luke, Jesus is more meditating. He looks up at the disciples. Yeah. And he's kind of, de- it's more, it's something more declarative in Luke. While for mm-hmm. Matthew, it's much, it's a teaching moment. Yeah. And there's also the fact that like Luke's general gospel is a physical ascending towards Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So there's some of that. So yeah, so all that works. And this is all, here's the beauty of the faith. All these interpretations are okay. They are. That's the beautiful there thing. There you go. Neither so, of us are wrong. N- and I'm going to use mine for this case because it makes it sound more like Jesus. So let's go with that one for today. <laughs> sure. Sounds good. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I want to do the theological virtues on faith, hope, and love. I think they are um, vitally misunderstood, vitally important. And um, I just, I've been falling in love with them a lot. The... Perhaps one day, many, not not in the near future, because I have a thesis to finish and stuff. Sure. But there were talks when I was with the sisters about maybe doing a book on the theological virtues, mm-hmm. uh, because I think they're just so important. And so why do I think they're important? You know, I, I, I've also been doing this a lot lately, because I've actually really, although Father Dan gives me a hard time for it, mm-hmm. I love quoting the catechism. Catechism's actually really good. It's really good. It's good, you guys. It's so good. I'm like, every time like I want to talk about this topic, I'm like, let's look at what the catechism has to say about... So let's just do a little quick primer on theological virtues. Okay? Right. And then let's... To quote the catechism... Yes. <laughs> the human virtues are rooted in the theological virtues, which adapt man's faculties for participation in the divine nature. For the theological virtues relate directly to God. They dispose Christians to live in a relationship with the Holy Trinity. They have the one and triune God for their origin, motive, and object. Um, That's 1812 and 1813 says that the theological virtues are the foundation of Christian moral activity. They animate it and give it a spe- its special character. They inform and give life to all the moral virtues. They are infused by God into the souls of the faithful to make them capable of acting as his children and of meriting eternal life. They are the pledge that they are the pledge of the presence and action of the Holy Spirit in the faculties of the human being. They, there are three theological virtues: faith, hope. And charity like there's a ton just right there you know what that first part struck me because i don't remember seeing it, that the uh, the regular old virtues the cardinal virtues um actually flow from the theological virtues mm-hmm. which makes my brain hurt a little bit because the theological virtues don't those only arrive with baptism with christ correct well but what they're talking about, and I haven't read that part of the catechism here, but um, mm-hmm. it's it makes sense if you understand 
two things, right? Man's fullness of who he is is only found in relationship with God. And so the four cardinal virtues only make proper sense and only property themselves when we are in union with God. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But it's not to say that these, but they're also human still. So there is still, because of our image and likeness, they have just that, nat- they, they do have a natural character on their own, but mm-hmm. they only are fully themselves in union and rooted in the theological virtues. But yeah. for me, actually, what what struck me was that first sentence, right? The human virtues are rooted in the theological virtues, which adapt man's faculties for participation in the divine nature. Mm-hmm. If you remember two weeks ago, we did a talk. I did a talk on charisms. Yes, you did. And I was, when I read this, I'm like, holy smokes, this is like the same thing here. Because what's grace? Participation in the life of God. What's yeah. a theological virtue? It, should, it adapts man's faculties for participation in the divine nature. Yeah. Grace is, is so it's a work of grace mm-hmm. that God, so it's our way of perceiving God of knowing God, of choosing God, and of living out a relationship with God and participating in his very life. So these are these are gifts that are given to us. They're called theological because they come from God. God, as the catechism said, is our origin in them. He is the one who gives them to us. And as Father Anthony had said, we receive them through baptism. Mm-hmm. And everyone receives them, faith, hope, and charity. And we get this, we actually heard it a few weeks ago from St. Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians, right? Faith, hope, and love. Yes. Right? So this is where mm-hmm. the notion of the, the because St. Paul says that these three remain. Mm-hmm. They remain. So even life in eternal life, faith, hope, and charity are not lost. Which is interesting when you think about what faith and hope are. Right. Because, okay, so, um, hmm, uh, it seems weird to have, because it doesn't, okay, uh, I might be messing up my Bible here, but uh, why would you have faith, why would you need faith when you see God face to face? Why is there hope when the promise is fulfilled in heaven? Love makes sense, but these other two remaining in heaven does not make sense to my brain. Well, let me read for first. Let me read a, another catechism quote to you. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> so faith. So we're going to talk about faith today. And we've talked about it before in a few different ones. I've talked about like ecclesial nature of faith and stuff. But this I just want to go. Like, let's just get to some good catechism with some Pieper and Ratzinger intermingled. Nice. As always. Uh, so the catechism says in 1814, faith is the theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us. And the Holy Church proposes for our belief because he is truth itself. By faith, man freely commits his entire self to God. For this reason, the believer seeks to know and do God's will. The righteous shall live by faith. Living faith works through charity. Uh, so just right there, there's already a bit of an answer to your question, I think. Because hmm. faith, while it... And I want to talk about the relationship between faith and belief in a second here. Because people really kind of brings that out well. Um, but for faith, it's a, it's an act of the will. Right, so this is something that shares mm-hmm. with belief. Okay, it's an act of the will by which one commits their whole self to God. Does that cease in eternity? No, that would not. And this confuses people's brains a it little does. bit. It does because uh, the question is like, if you have free will in heaven, can you choose not God in heaven? Oh, I, I oh. didn't expect oh. to go that direction. That's fine. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Continue on. Continue uh, on. 
Go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, this is, um, okay, I have a few questions here. Um, one is something regarding my RCA class, because they just, a bunch of them wrote me letters of intent that they want to become Catholic. It seems like faith is operative somehow in them. Uh, and let's just say one of them is a catechumen, unbaptized. Yep. yep. And, you know, she's at mass all the time. She wants to become Catholic. She's not receiving, of course. She's yep. being good about stuff. But, like, it seems like there's some kind of faith operative in that. Mm-hmm. So that's a question. And then the other question is one of, like, free will faith in heaven. Because it sounds okay. like, and maybe we can skip that for later. But anyway, there, there you go. There's two questions. You can do what you want with that. First, with the second one. I'll start with the second one yeah. first because I think it's actually the easier one. Is yeah. simple. Faith is not a is not a sequence of events. It's an, a, mm. an event, and so it's an eternal choice. Which is why where you're at at the end of your life really does matter because it's the place and time of the choice. It's what you've built your life up towards, which is already it's it's already in connection with eternity, right? So there is we we have this sense of eternity. Again, another episode one day. I'd love to talk about our notions of eternity and how we. Here's the thing, folks. We actually have very. I almost use a bad word. We have very junky ways of understanding most of the nice. terms of faith that we believe mm-hmm. in. And I want to encourage people, read your catechism or read the compendium of the catechism, which is much shorter in a question answer format. Um, we really need to actually understand what these things are because I, I think a lot of reasons we struggle with faith so often and the life of faith and the life in Christ is we actually don't understand some of the very basic elements because we've just adapted the kind of twisting element, like the the twisting that people have through modernity about what faith is, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we kind yeah. of, we kind of have, sorry, it happens yeah. to all of us. We can we kind of parrot the words we hear yeah. through the church, but our understanding is imbued with a modernist notion that we breathe in every day. Yes, exactly. So we think we know, but then we mess up. So faith is is an act of the will, which is which puts it in concert with what belief is, but it, it's a giving of the whole self to God. That's what faith is. It's it's an ascent of not just my mind and my intellect and to. to to the truth, at least how we can modern in the modern sense understand that phrase, but it's an ascent of the whole self to God. That's what I mean. The Catechism says this. So if that's the case, that ascent ascent doesn't end at the end of life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the first one. The, the, to your first question, this gets into the relationship between belief and faith that I want to get into. But the, before that, just to quickly say, first you'll notice how in the right of of when someone's entering into the church to become a catechumen and stuff. When one becomes a catechumen, they have rights to things like a Christian burial and stuff. Yeah. Because the church recognizes that the grace is already at work. There's mm-hmm. a, there has to be a, a, a sort of kind of pre prevenient grace, a, a grace running before the grace of baptism to draw someone to God, right? Everything is God's work. And so this person is entering into the faith of the church through belief saying, I want to give my whole self to God, but then the full act of faith will come with baptism. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Right. That makes so, sense. Because yeah, if it's an act of the will by assenting to baptism, yeah. that's the fulfillment of this thing that you're right. approaching. So this is the thing. Faith is a participation in the life of God, man. Like that is, it's a giving my whole self to that life, but it also encompasses in itself the whole perspective and drama of belief. Now, what is the distinction? Is there a distinction between belief and faith? I'm gonna. Oh my goodness! 
Uh, that is a great question. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes from my context clues you've given yes. me already. Yes, you and are correct. I find I find myself sometimes tripping over these words when I'm talking. You know, I've noticed this even in my RCIE class a little yeah. bit. But they don't notice. They just think everything I say is perfect and true. Um, not that I've said anything wrong, perhaps. But uh, anyway, enough being defensive. Um, belief, perhaps belief is more of the ascent to things that we cannot see. Whereas faith is this act of the will imbued by grace, of course, to live in Christ. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're pretty close, actually. Cool. I'll uh, take pretty yeah, close. Yeah. So I'm going to use Pieper here. Joseph Pieper has a book on the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. But this is the interesting thing. Most of the, of the, the chapters or the chapter on faith is around the notion of belief. Interesting. He says, as a philosopher, I cannot talk about faith qua faith because that's a theological topic based on theological data that no philosopher but I can talk about the dynamic and experience of faith I can talk about it as a human thing and I can talk about the preconditions for faith mm -hmm. by talking about what belief is so he spends actually most of the chapter talking about belief and so he uses this definition to talk about belief he has a whole 30 40 pages kind of tearing it to pieces to, uh, to make sure we really understand it he says belief is to accept something unconditionally as real and true on the testimony of someone else who understands the matter out of his own knowledge. Hmm. So it's a trusting of what someone else has to say about it. So, and he goes into Thomas about this. So Thomas talks about the difference between seeing and hearing and Thomas puts seeing as higher than hearing. But the fact is actually most of the time, so seeing is this no is this ability to judge things for our own. Here's right. the thing. Most human knowledge, like what we call like epistemology actually, is actually based on belief and not knowledge. Mm -hmm. Most of our human knowing, to put this in more layman's terms, most of our human knowing is based on believing what someone else has to say rather than us investigating it ourselves. So if I go buy a new computer and the store clerk is saying, well, it's got this processor, it's got this much RAM, it's got, it's got a static state hard drive, you know, it's got this many hours of battery life. I don't know computer stuff much anymore. I trust that what he's telling me is based on a relationship and his position in the world is true for what my needs are. Yeah. And or, that's, and that's actually know, how we just go through life. For example, like you've told me you live in a place called Canada. Yeah. I mean, in a particular area of Canada, I have never seen. Yep. And even if I were to show up and go on a plane, uh -huh. land at your place, yep. and I'm in what you called Canada, and you say this is where you live, all of that is still kind of belief. Yep. yep. You know? The fact that I, I'm pretty sure New Zealand exists. That's not personal knowledge in the same way. It's not sight. Right. That's belief. Right. It's like, yeah. And I, I actually, I think Chesterton goes through this in orthodoxy, right? Around like, yeah, yeah. Like, you, you, you believe, you actually, most people actually believe that the UK exists, but they actually don't go out and chart it for themselves. Right. right. Or a more, even more basic example, folks, is you go to the store, you buy a loaf of bread. You believe that it's not been tampered with. And all these things and this is actually a very this is actually part of where conspiracy theory stuff comes from yeah, is just because, that. because conspiracy theory stuff comes from this idea that actually i can have no trust of another mm -hmm. ever i have to know everything for myself but that loses a sense of that shared notion of our humanity and shared knowledge that comes through culture education etc 
everything we most things we learn is through trust everything yeah. like, like, and how the faith is handed on is through is through this way as well right this is where tr the notions of tradition and stuff come from mm -hmm. and 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 that's to say that a lot of times what kicks off conspiracies is that there are people who lie you know um but what and this is a kind of a test of a life philosophy for me is is it actually possible to live it out right and the answer is you simply cannot be human without assenting to multiple beliefs or else you would just be utterly paralyzed i think it was oh someone's i think it was al-ghazali one of the islamic philosophers of the middle ages who was a, an extreme I always get my three. There was Averroes, Avicenna, and Al-Ghazali. I think Al-Ghazali was a skeptic. He became a skeptic. Mm -hmm. And and he said he actually almost needed like this divine illumination to kind of remove him from this radical skepticism, which was essentially someone said, well, I'm going to push you into a fire. You tell me that you're not in a fire. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just kind of this moment of this divine illumination. He said it, it, that's all it could take because he was so stuck in his own skepticism yeah. that he couldn't. Um, you couldn't see out of it. Uh, and yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Chesterton actually goes into this really well at the beginning of Orthodoxy. Uh, very, very well, actually. Um, around like how this kind of hyper-focus on a particular truth without reference. So like the person who thinks they're Napoleon in the madhouse is yeah. probably more certain of that truth, but it's the only truth that they can see. Right. Right. So this is what belief does. And this is how we act. This is a fundamental act of human... Like everyone... God willing, is believing that I'm, I read that from Peeper, right? Yeah. Even for Father Anthony, he's kind of trusting that the computer is putting the image through the shit. Yeah, this is a Peeper. Like, so this is yeah. just how we function it. Like, if you, once you take that out, man, like life is not functional anymore. Yeah, it doesn't it's work. not functional. So, okay. Now, what does that have to do with faith? And mm -hmm. this is where he, he kind of brings in uh, the question of faith as regards to belief. So if this is, if it's in a sense of the whole self, belief that so that you see when we talked about earlier with faith faith is this kind of giving my whole life to god so there is the commonality between faith and belief mm -hmm. when i enter into the act of faith though it is god lifting up my personal ascent into his very life through grace so there's a cooperation of wills here but it requires of me a receptivity to the truth that it can actually reveal itself and speak to me. I'm not going to get into it, but Peeper does a really brilliant job about talking about the natural conditions for revelation and mm. why we as human beings um, really ought to be, if, if God is who he says he is, if he's actually a personal God, that means he has to be able to speak to me in a way I can understand him and know him. So mm -hmm. it gets to questions around mediation and revelation and everything. It does a really, really good job about that. But he says the difference between the natural belief and religious belief is that the, in religious belief, someone with a capital S, the someone on whose testimony the religious believer accepts a matter as true and real, that someone is God himself. The telling mm -hmm. difference, therefore, is that in a manner scarcely to be encountered anywhere in the world, the content of the testimony and the per and the person of the witness are identical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. God reveals Himself. He's the one who's testifying, and He's testifying to Himself. Yeah, which is like what you see in the Scripture. Yeah, like John one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And and Jesus as the Word, He is the content 
of the father. Yeah. He's the speech of the father. All, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not, this is not a top podcast on revelation too much, but this is the thing. God himself is both the content. He's both the actor who reveals and the content revealed at the same time, right? This is why when Benedict says that Jesus is the kingdom, he is the content of his own proclamation because yeah. he is truth itself. He has to be, mm-hmm. it's not an arrogant thing. It's what it's, it's the fullness of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, this, this, this is fun stuff, man. This is so good. <laughs> but this is where, this is the thing is that where faith begins, so where the belief element on that natural level starts to open itself up to the realm of faith and actually gets to the question around your catechumen is what I would call like the humility to revelations, um, this this openness to, to God. And in this, he actually says that there is actually a way. So I want to read a long quote here because I think it's, I wait, this is like, Acedia, but also, uh, okay. it's also just really good. There is an infinitude of hidden, often barely discernible modes of shutting the doors of the mind and heart. Undoubtedly, there exists, for example, a lack of receptivity that is accompanied by no express gestures or refusal or rejection, which is simply inattention. Gabriel Marcel contends that the conditions of modern life not only favor, but almost compel such inattention, which makes belief in practice in practice rather improbable pascal too was aware of this very problem witness this aphorism in the pensees which suggests how easily a man can shut himself off from the whole of truth virtually with a clear conscience if you do (laughs) not take the trouble pascal says to know the truth there is enough truth at hand so that you can live in peace but if you crave it with all your heart then it is not enough to know it (laughs) <laughs> it is no so Pieper continues it is no excessively difficult matter to content oneself with what one already knows but those who truly throw their souls open to the whole of truth expect since they know or see the whole that there will always be an additional new light beyond what they already know is that good it is let's let's try okay. to talk about it a yeah, little bit so yeah, it sounds yeah. a little bit like he's talking about okay so you can be you're a regular old modern person using modern in the sense of uh, temporality, maybe philosophically, but let's just okay. go. You can be your current person. Yep. And we he's talking about a little bit, it sounds like the fact that you can basically content yourself with basic truths and be distracted enough where you are not receptive to the deeper meanings or what those truths point to in a deeper way. That sounds like part of what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the soul, the person who is attentive to these things, all of a sudden it's like you can either numb your uh, inclination toward truth or you can enter into that hunger. And it sounds like the way it's answers part of the question as far as like in heaven, like a commitment to the truth and entering into faith ends up being... Well, this wellspring of eternal life that you are both satisfied, but also never want to stop drinking from. Yeah. Yep. Those are my thoughts on all that. Yeah. Nope. Nope. You're you're absolutely right. And so he's trying to get it, he's trying to go against this kind of reduction of truth towards mm-hmm. I just I have this little box of truth, yeah. and that's sufficient for life. And yeah. but as Aristotle says, the soul in some way knows all things. 
Mm. Right. Because the human being is, is able to receive the fullness of truth. He is disposed to this by his own being as creature. And so is able to know more than just the things he perceives directly in front of him. There's always an openness towards a deeper mystery. It's why even in eternity, we, like you were saying, we're never sat, we, we are satisfied, but then we always want more. It's like, right. we always want more because God's infinite and we'll never exhaust God. And that's mm-hmm. the whole point of truth. This truth, this content that is revealed is never fully exhausted. It can't be because God is infinite and we are finite. And that mm-hmm. is part of the beauty and the richness of faith is that it's an entering into this mystery uh, that says, I will never exhaust you. And yet I will never, die, I, I will never bore of you. Right. So, yeah, and it's why yeah, on like yeah. a very human level, like people, when people have a profound experience of Jesus Christ, they usually aren't done. Uh, either the person dives wholeheartedly into the faith or are terribly haunted by it for the rest of their lives, right. constantly running from it because the heart's been awoken to that truth that it hungers for. Exactly. And so that's so why this notion, like he's saying this because he's like, and I, he has this really good stuff about belief and doubt that Ratzinger brings up in, in introduction to Christianity as well, but I don't have time for that today. Um, but this notion of belief then is he says at the heart of belief is giving your whole self to what is what the other person knows and to share in their knowledge of it which is for when it comes to revelation sharing in god's very life because both the content and the revealer are the same thing so this knowing is not just an intellectual knowing of propositions of truths separated from life but it's the knowing of a person who comes to meet me who in in coming to me and to us as all of humanity reveals at the same time because the the revealer and the revelation are one in the person mm-hmm. of Jesus. But this requires on our part a receptivity. And just one more little quote here, and then I want to bring something from Master and then we'll be done. Uh, he says that we have to have this kind of openness to truth. If truth is what it says it is, then we have to avoid what Newman calls an error that is both common and fatal. That truth may be approached without homage. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, so when that, what that means is that it lacks a receptivity and openness to let truth speak itself to me. Rather, and this is the modern mode, I go out and determine the truth. I say what is true. Like I am the determiner of truth. The ancient way of looking at truth is that truth corresponds to reality. Today, mm-hmm. reality corresponds to what I say is true. We are all relativists in the end, folks. Sorry, hate to say it, but yeah. it's true. So this is why it's so hard to come to faith today because we come against uh, we come up against this kind of pattern of of thought, we are formed in a way of thinking that is non-receptive. It's non-Marian, right? Yeah. Because I have to actually be open to say truth, speak to me so that if, and if the truth is at its ultimate source, God himself, then it's an act of personal revelation that comes to lift me up into his life. And so faith, as we said, so this kind of brings us around to what the catechism said about faith. It's a participation. Mm-hmm. It's, an, it's a lived mm-hmm. ascent to the life of faith. Of the, to the life of God and participating in his life. To which point, I'm going to bring this great quote. There's also a great little book. It's um, Spiritual Exercises for Communion Liberation that Ratzinger did years ago called uh, The Yes of Jesus Christ hmm. on Faith, Hope, and Love. And Ratzinger has this great quote. Uh, what was it? I had it two seconds ago. Oh, yeah, now I know. I, now I remember where it was. Sorry. Making Nick work. Hey, Nick. 
I'm not sorry for this. I'm not either. Neither is Father Harrison. I'm not either. Sorry, I just, I just had it and now I lost it. Okay, here it is. Of its essence, and I've used this line before, I just love it. Of its essence, Christian faith is sharing in the vision of Jesus mediated by his word, which is the authentic expression of his vision. Jesus's vision is the point of reference of faith, the point where it is anchored in reality. Boom. So this ties in with the catechism, and this ties into uh, the earlier question you had around, what about in eternity? Yeah. Well, you're sharing in the vision of Jesus. You're lifted up into the life of the Son. Always, everywhere. There's never a moment you're separated from this. And so faith doesn't cease. Yeah. It just becomes perfected. Yeah. Because now you're lifted up into God's life in the Son. So folks, in the end, faith is nothing more than giving your whole yes to God, which says, I trust God to say who he says he is. And so I throw myself trustingly at who he is and what he has revealed to me through his church. And I throw myself at that reality each and every day. That's hard to do today because yeah. we are formed to say, no, you make truth. You make up your own mind about what truth is. It's purely subjective and relativistic. And that, that is why faith is actually a hard thing to do because it says, no, I rely not just on objective truth, but that I rely on a person who is objective truth to come and meet me and draw me into his life and to speak the truth of what I am to me so that I may have true life. That's hard to do today, but that's the way of Christianity. Yay. That's it. We went over time there, so. No, it's good. Uh, Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. Uh, You can find me listening to more of our wonderful messages from our hotline. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. And that hotline I talked about for all of your theological emergencies is 412-912-7995. That's 412-912-7995. If you ever have a sacramental emergency, please call your parish, not us, because I don't know where you live and trying to get there to anoint someone. Just get a closer priest. Don't be ridiculous. Peace. God bless.